awesome thing. And uh, tonight we want to look at worship to the King. And uh, how many of you know the story of the, the wise men, right? So let's do a quick quiz. How many wise men were there? We actually don't know. Tricky question. Why do we think there were three? Because there were three gifts. But that doesn't mean there were three wise men. In fact, many times they would travel in caravans. And so maybe there were three leaders, but they certainly would have been traveling quite possibly 20, 30 people. It's possible. We don't know. But tradition got developed in stories and Belteshazzar and some of these other guys. And, and it could have been three too. So, you know, that's interesting. Um, and uh, did they show up at the manger? No, they actually didn't. It, it tells us in Scripture that by the time they showed up, Jesus and Mary and Joseph were in a house. They had already taken Jesus to the temple after eight days to name him and redeem him as part of the law and to circumcise him and they were in a house it's at that time so even up to possibly even up to a year after his birth they came to him and uh, so that's interesting too isn't it but all of that is not what I want to talk about so (laughs) what I want to talk about is what they were there to do and so I've given you an outline Matthew chapter 2 verse 2 and it says this, when they asked, they, they said, where is he who has born king of the Jews? They believed, according to the astronomy and their study of the stars, they believed that a king was born. Historically, traditionally, in the cosmos, they believed that when a great king was born, that the heavens declared it. And they had been watching the stars and they had been seeing that there is this peculiar star that is really shining and they began to follow it, chart it, and so forth. And they began to see and got it to the place where they believed that it was going to be a great king born unto Israel. And so these guys aren't Israelites. These guys aren't Jews. They're, they're following, they're Persian. They're following this star coming into Israel, and then so they come to King Herod and say, okay, so uh, where's the king? And he's going like, wait a minute, I'm the king. <laughs> what are you talking about? What do you mean, where's the king? And so he says, you know what, why don't you go find him for me? I can't wait to pray and worship him. Tell me where he is. But what I want to share with you tonight is basically this one thing. They say, Where is he who has been born? See, he's already born. Where is he who has been born, king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to what? So why were the wise men there? To do one thing. Worship him. So the wise men came. We'll say there were three just for fun tonight. So the three wise men came to do what? Okay, so when they brought the gifts, these gifts were part of their what? All right, so let's get to the heart of what is going on here. I'm drilling it home so you get it. So the gifts they came, they came to do what? 
And so this is an opportunity that the wise men knew a great king is born. We must bow down and what? And offer our what? Worship. Yeah, okay. So worship means to bring gifts and to give value or worth to the one you are praising. In fact, it's, it's an old uh, English, well, it's an old Latin word. The word we get worship from comes from the derivative of worthship. W-O-R-T-H. Worthship. That's where we get the word, but we, we sounded like Elmer Fudd, so we you know, got changed to worship. <laughs> but to give worth to someone, to give value to someone, and to honor someone with worship, adoration, to bow down. And so the story of the three kings, the story of the wise men, is a story about what? Worship. So let's consider what they gave and apply that to our own worship tonight. All right? Let's start with, obviously, the the first thing mentioned is gold, isn't it? Now, gold is uh, expensive, gold has value, and so one of the first things you have to understand concerning worship is that it, is, it should cost you something. It is valuable. It costs more than anything else. It's something you treasure more than silver and gold, right? And that's what Peter talks about. He said that he redeemed us not by silver or gold, those mundane things, but with the precious blood of the Lamb. You know, gold is precious in the earth. How many of you know that? It's got value, right? People, you're hearing advertisements all day long now, buy gold. The economy is so unstable, but gold always remains this, get gold, buy gold. It's precious. There's only so much gold in the earth, Right? used to be our money was based on a gold standard. So, so gold is valuable. It's rare. Can I tell you something that's more rare than gold? The most rare thing in, in all the universe is what? The blood of Jesus. That's why Peter compares it to gold. You say gold and everybody goes, where? But what he's saying is the blood of Jesus. So, so if you ascribe value to gold, then you need to understand there's something more precious than gold. It's the blood of Jesus. The blood of God, the book of Acts says. We were purchased by the blood of God. God doesn't have blood, but God put on flesh so that he could have blood to spend it on us. The most precious thing. And guess where that blood was sprinkled? Anybody know from the book of Hebrews? This blood was sprinkled on the altar in the true presence of God. Not a tabernacle made by hands, but in the, before the very throne, the eternal spirit sprinkled the blood of Jesus Christ. Now the blood of Jesus is so precious, he was not born with Adam's blood. He bypassed the curse that was on Adam because of the virgin birth, right? The virgin birth is essential. Because the virgin birth means he was born a man, but his blood never mingled with Mary's blood. And despite maybe your religious background or whatever, Mary was not immaculate. She was born of Adam and had sin. And so he was not. So his blood is eternal. His blood will never die. 
His blood is the most precious thing. And that blood, if you'll remember, in the book of Revelation, is what we will thank God for eternity. When John turned to see the lion from the tribe of Judah, what did he see in the center of the throne? A lamb who was slain. So this gold, they came with the best they had. They came with the best they had. And so in our first act of worship, we've got to have a mindset that I'm going tonight to give the best I have. All that I have. The most valuable thing I have, I must give unto God. And do you know what God treasures? Do you know what He values most, for, most from us? Our heart, our love, our worship. That's how valuable this is. And then gold, when we get to heaven, the thing most valued is Christ himself to where gold is now as good as cement. It's paving the streets. We're going to be walking on it. The thing, isn't it funny? The thing that men die over, the thing. You know how many wars are fought over gold? Almost all of them. In the end, that's really the reason behind land and power and wars and fighting because the one who has the most riches and gold and power. All of that will be as concrete in the presence of God. Useless. Now, gold represents that which is kingly, that which is superior. And so to come before a king and to offer a gift and to offer worship means you submit to his authority. Worship is an act of submission. So, folks, there's something wrong when we're thinking more about ourselves than him when we're worshiping him. When we're thinking about the tuna salad we had for dinner, or I can't wait to have a Coke, or I can't, you know, uh, other thoughts, gee, I don't know how I'm going to get my car fixed. Something's being robbed from the kingly authority. Peter says to set him as king in your heart. All right? So if we're going to follow the, the, the teaching of these wise men, they came to worship. They brought something that costly was costly. It cost them everything. And it was kingly. They submitted to him. They surrendered to him. They bowed a knee to him. We get a little irritated if we have to stand too long. Hey, you know what? If you're standing too long, please get in the aisle and bow. Get on your knees. Get on your knees. A normal, a normal type of worship in the Old Testament was to lay on your face. If you want to do that, come on up here and lay on your face. Oh, really? That's just a bit odd. Not in the presence of a king. Not in the presence of a king. Do you understand we're talking about the king of all kings? Secondly, I already went through costly, it's expensive. And thirdly, gold is purified, it's refined. It's heated up to where it melts and then all its impurities rise to the top. God wants to melt you in his presence. How many of you know that we got junk in us? Right? We fight it, man. And when you heat this gold up, when you heat the metal up, all the junk goes to the surface so you can do what? Skim it off. Um, I'm, my background is in sculpting, and I have a master's degree uh, in sculpting. And many times we would cast bronze, uh, and we would make molds, and we would heat up the bronze in a crucible 
till where it melted red hot. And once that bronze got red hot, all the dross and all the junk that was in it would rise to the surface and we would take a skimmer and we would skim it off and we knew that we would have pure bronze. That when we poured it into the mold, it would flow without any obstruction. And you knew that it was purified when it was, when it was just reflective and you could see your face in it. And that's what He does with gold, with us. In worship, God wants to melt you so He can shape you and mold you. That's the value of gold. You can make it in all these different shapes. It's rare, it's precious, it's costly. And God wants to do that. And the three kings came. And they came, first of all, to bring gold. That which is of value. That which was, they could have been robbed, they could have stole, been stolen from, but they brought it anyways. They traveled with it, something most precious, to give to a king, to bow down before him, to be accepted by him. And we know that the gold of heaven is the blood of Jesus. And we're accepted because of his gold standard, his blood standard. That's the gold. And so when we come to worship, please, would you bow down before God? In your hearts, bow down before God. Let it be more than singing a song. Let it be more than repeating. We've sung these songs a million times, right? We've sung them over and over and over again. Oh, we're singing that tune again. Yeah, whatever. No, man, it's got to open up your heart and bow before a king of kings. And so it's got to have value. It's got to have value. Now, the most sacred articles in the tabernacle. God's the one who commanded them to make the furniture of the tabernacle out of gold. Because God knows, this is fascinating to me, God knows the gold standard in planet earth. He knows the value of it. He knows how men cherish it. He knows that it rules nations. And he says, I want you to melt it down and make furniture out of it for me so that you will value my house. So when we gather as a people, do you value this effort? Is it laden in gold? Tonight, Wednesday at 7 o'clock, was this gold to you? Was this precious to you that you came, that it's gold before God, the furniture, the green furniture, come on. But, but it's being here is what's gold to me. There are people around the world who cannot gather together freely and proclaim the name of Jesus. This is gold to them. They would die to be here. In fact, many of them have died. So he made the furniture of the tabernacle with gold. There's value here. And so we've got to gain it. Now the second one. They brought gold. What else did they bring? Frankincense. Not to be confused with Frankenstein. Frankincense. This is myrrh. Uh, uh, frankincense and myrrh. They're, they are perfumes. You get them from trees and it's the sap and it crystallizes. And so frankincense uh, uh, would be these crystals that they had dried and so forth. And then what they would do is they would bring it and they would burn it in the tabernacle and the altar of incense that was right before the Holy of Holies, the presence of God. And so they would take these crystals and they would put them in the altar of incense and begin to burn them. And what would they do? Smoke. I mean, how many of you have aromas in your house? Right? Intentional ones. Yeah, that you put, 
like candles, you like candles, or you have those, the new cool things that you plug into the wall and they have scents, right? How many of you put them in your car, right? Sweet fragrance. So what is this saying? They said we came to worship him, so they brought fragrance. So fragrance is essential to worship. Fragrance is essential to worship. Oh, I got that, uh, the wrong words up there uh, for frankincense. Number one is it's sacred. So look at your outline. Don't look at the slide. It's a pretty slide, but I messed up. Number one, it's sacred. Frankincense was one of the ingredients used and offered with the grain offerings and on the Ark of the Covenant, and it was burned as a smoke in the air. And so it was used by the priests in temple worship. And so it's a fragrance. Our worship is a sweet fragrance to God. He loves it. Now, let me ask you a question. What's the difference between our worship in here and the worship downstairs of the seven and eight-year-olds and the five and six-year-olds? Oh, but but we're so much more mature than they are. (laughs) So so there's no IQ quota or level for worship, is there? There's no male nor female, Jew nor Greek, slave nor free. We praise Him, we worship Him, and it is a sweet fragrance. You might not be able to sing a lick. You may not be able to stay on pitch or anything, but it's sweet fragrance to God. If you've had children and you just hear their little voice say, I love you, Daddy, I love you, Mommy, they could have the weirdest voice in the world, but you love it. They could have just gotten a lot of trouble, but you love them for them saying that. So, so there is a, a fragrance. Now, it is lit on fire. Get it again. We love fire in Scripture. It's lit on fire. Just as the fire melts the gold, it burns the incense, and the fire creates this aroma, this smoke that rises, which represents the prayers of the saints. In Revelation 5.8, we see the real tabernacle in heaven, and it says that when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each holding a harp and golden bowls full of incense. Now, any Jew would have known that what those bowls of incense were what? Frankincense. The incense burned in the temple, in the tabernacle. So these angels have harps, which means more music, worship, and golden bowls full of incense, frankincense, which is what? Prayers of the saints. Listen, frankincense is the symbol of the reality of what the New Testament was bringing. We look back and go, frankincense, ooh, maybe our worship would be good if we had frankincense here. If we had frankincense, then we'd be just like the Bible, and smoke would rise and it would smell good, and we'd be missing it by a mile. Frankincense was the picture of what we're doing. The fragrance he wants is not the smell of tree sap. What he wants is the fragrance of your love, of your heart that's kindled and burning for him. And that's why love of the world waxes cold the heart. But a love for him 
causes it to burn. And those bowls of incense, those bowls of frankincense are the prayers of the saints. Tonight you've been praying. We've been praying. You know, look at folks, let's not, we get into these camps. We get into all sorts of camps. And I would love for these camps to come together and do one thing, and that's celebrate God. We get into camps where we've got worship camps. We do worship. We like worship. This is what we do. Our music is good. We've got word camps. We study the word. We do the word. We're word people. We've got prayer camps. We pray. This is how we do it. You know what? Prayer, word, worship, all of it together is the activity of being in fellowship with Father. Whether you go from word, he speaks to us in his word and we begin to con- communicate and we're in prayer and in our prayer we are beginning worshiping and singing. It's it's one thing. It's, it's a love relationship with God. And it's sweet and it's fragrant and God loves it. Secondly, it ascends. It ascends to heaven. So it burns and it creates a fragrance to God and it ascends to heaven. And last of all, it is a sweet fragrance. God can't wait for you to give Him your full attention. And so there's a fragrance here. And can I tell you something? If we don't worship Him, if we don't pray, if we don't commune, if we don't fellowship with Him, the fragrance is going to dry up and, and get, again, our hearts begin to get cold. And we start smelling like the world. And that stinketh. Last of all, what did they bring? Myrrh. My gosh, who did these slides? I didn't even do this one right. Let's do this. Ignore me, those slides. Okay, go back to your outline. Myrrh. Now, what is myrrh? Myrrh was one of the ingredients in the sacred anointing oil used in Exodus. The oil for the tent of meeting and all the articles and all the furniture, the same oil that was anointed on on Aaron. So worship, we came to worship. Frankincense, gold, All of this is worship. And so now myrrh is an act of worship. And in this act of worship, myrrh represents the anointing presence and oil of God. God needed to put something on us so that we felt his presence. In the Old Testament, they took this oil, this myrrh, and uh, they would apply it. When you apply oil, water doesn't wash it off, right? Uh, and uh, it used to be, now that we've painted everything, we'll have to do it again, but uh, we've been in this church for about 18 years, and if you looked in the, uh, in the light just right on the door frames, you'd see little crosses on every door frame. Because when we first came in, we anointed every doorpost with oil. See, oil sustains. That anointing, John says, remains in you. And so God used oil, the myrrh, mixed in with these oils to anoint the tabernacle furniture, to anoint Aaron and the priests. It's a priestly anointing. And it remains. It's His presence. And so when we worship, His Spirit is His oil. His Holy Spirit is His anointing. It comes upon us. It lives within us. And he communes and fellowships. It's not just one way. My worship's just to him. It's him coming in us, down upon us, around us, with us. His desire is to make his abode, his life, his home, his house in us. You're anointed people. You carry him everywhere you go. You are a perfume jar. 
of anointing. It's not just when you worship, it's at all times. Now here's the other thing that's important about myrrh. It was used in anointing the dead. Because it was very potent in its fragrance. So why would you need to put myrrh on dead bodies? They stinketh. Do you remember what Jesus said about Lazarus? It had been four days he was dead. The rock was rolled over the tomb and he said, remove the stone. And I, and I love what Martha said. By now, Lord, he stinketh. That's King James, stinketh. Modern translation, he stinks. You've got to put a lot of myrrh all over him. Put it on your nose to go in. It stinks, right? And so why would they, let me ask you a question, why would they, if they're coming to worship, why would they bring an anointment, an anointing for death to the birth of a king. It's prophetic. It's prophetic. Isaiah 53, Isaiah talks of the suffering servant that no one else could figure this out. His disciples didn't even get it. He had to keep telling them over and over, I have to die, I have to die, I have to die. You're not going to die. We won't forsake you. We don't get it. You don't get it! These guys probably didn't get it either, but by the unction of God, they brought a prophetic presence. When you worship to meet with God, there is a prophetic presence of all that God has designed and purposed for your life. Consider that what's in you when you worship is being activated. I don't know where you're going to be in two years. I don't know what you're going to need from God in three years, but in your worship, it's bubbling up. It's prophetic. It's active. I don't know what you're going to do when you're 98 years old and what faith you need then. But tonight, while you're worshiping, it's here. It's there. It's prophetic. It's in you. All that you're going to become for eternity is here. It's not going to be there. It's going to be here. And it's got to be pulled out and drawn out and ascended and burned on fire to begin to flow so you become what you're becoming. That's the prophetic. And it's right here now in you. That's why the devil hates when people worship. He wants to get you distracted. He wants to make sure you put a governor over your spirit, and that is your flesh. Don't, don't raise a hand. Do not raise your hand. If you raise your hand, everyone's going to look at you. You look stupid raising your hand. You're silly raising your hand. How many of you went through that? I went through that. Don't raise your voice. Don't shout. The last thing, you don't need to be some religious fanatic. You don't need to be a religious fanatic. You need to be awesomely in love with Jesus. That's a relationship. Right? Imagine a husband telling a wife or a wife telling a husband, you know what, let's not get carried away with this love. You're just acting a little bit too fanatical towards me. Could you imagine that? It's like, no, bring it on! Right? So, if anything, and I'll close so that we have time to worship, is that we understand these three kings, these, these three wise men, differently than we ever have before, and understand the real meaning of this story, that what they brought was an act of worship. It was gold, precious, kingly, valued by God.
before a king, and it was this fragrance that rose up that a heart would burn and it was sweet. God's looking for someone to praise Him and it has prophetic significance in your life and in His for us so that it covers the stench of our flesh. It covers our failures and it's a sweet aroma of a saved, redeemed person in love with God and what God sees is what you are going to be. That's how God looks at you. We look at ourselves as the state we're in. God sees us in our full glory of what we're becoming. And He's calling it out. He's calling it out tonight. Gift of gold is our offering and submission to a king, our obedience. The gift of frankincense is our offering, the love of a heart burning with sweet fragrance to God. And myrrh is the offering of our hands committed to God. We will spend our lives for Him. And so I close with this. We three kings of Orient are... I can't remember the rest of the words. Traveled really far. Field and mountain, more and trees. <laughs> I'm making it up as I go. Following yonder star. Oh, star of wonder, star of light, star of royal beauty bright. Right? Then we lose them because they're all about the star. That's not what they were about. The star was just to get them to where? Jesus to do what? Worship. Right? Right. Is your story about, oh, I couldn't wait to get in my car and drive to church. I love my car. I took my car down Kelly. I love Kelly Road. What are you singing about the star for? They came to do what? Worship. And they came bringing gifts that represent what? Worship. You came tonight to do what? Worship. And your gifts are within you to do what? Worship. That's what this is about. That's what this season is about. To be awestruck and to worship Him. This is something foreign to our flesh because we are king. You're king. If you don't believe me, trace what you do during the day. Consider your thoughts. Did you realize that the world revolves around you? That's how we live. All right? So when I say worship, this is a war. You need to learn how to worship. You need to learn how to be biblical in your worship. That's what I'm teaching you tonight. That's what I'm trying to show you from this story. And many of us worship according to how we feel we want to worship. But could I encourage you to learn how to biblically worship? Because when you worship in spirit and in truth, God will meet you there and call out every part of your destiny and identity, and you are going to become changed in His presence. Let's bow our heads. Father, we thank You for tonight.